0: Hello, and welcome to the UX Hustle podcast. I'm so excited today because I have Joe Natoli on the podcast. Joe is a UX consultant, author, and speaker. Everything he does is born from three decades of consulting with and training the product development teams of some of the world's largest organizations. He has taught over 200,000 students through his online courses and is a regular keynote speaker and lecturer at events across the globe including the UX Hustle Summit, September 24th and 25th, where Joe will be moderating our career path panel. His courses, books, articles, and free UX resources are available at givegoodux.com. And his new online school, the UX 365 Academy, publishes new training courses, videos, eBooks, and more every month. You can check it out at learn.givegoodux.com. In this episode, we talk about fear, fear of speaking up, fear of looking dumb, and the fear of failure. Joe shares his experience working with hundreds of thousands of UX students and in a number of UX organizations, showing you how to overcome fear so that you can make a real impact, not only as a UX designer, but as a person in your own life. This episode isn't just for those of you breaking into UX, but it really speaks to the real life experience and challenges of being a UXer at an organization. So whether you're just starting out, a manager or consultant, or out looking for a new position on the job market, this episode is for you. I hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the UX Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Worthington. The goal of UX Hustle is to help UX designers design the career they love maximizing the benefit of this multifaceted industry and strong community. We talk about what's really going on in UX and what it's like working in it, and interview people that are actively navigating their careers and UX. We don't expect to have all the answers, but we do keep searching, keep listening, and learning. Because at the end of the day, you are the user of your career. Welcome to the UX Hustle podcast. I'm really excited to have Joe Natoli with me today. Welcome to the podcast, Joe.
1: Thank you very much. It is my absolute honor to be here.
0: I'm so glad. So could you (laughs) tell people a little bit about your career journey and how you got to where you are now?
1: Oh boy. How long do you have? Um, (laughs) I I went to school for graphic design. Okay. This was pre-internet. That's how old I am. Um, and bounced around at ad agencies and design firms um, for a couple of years. And then this little thing called the internet came along. And I could not convince the the old guys who ran the ad agency I worked for that this internet thing, as they called it, wasn't just a passing fad. It wasn't just a trend. It wasn't going to go away, die off, and that their clients probably you know, were going to be interested in it. We should be learning how to design you know, web-based uh, websites, web-based software, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And their response was kind of like, e- whatever, kid, like, go make me coffee. So <laughs> I was young and uh, full of righteous indignation and anger <laughs> at this. And I'm like, fine, if you're not going to listen to me, then I'm just going to do it myself. And that's kind of what I did. Um, without too much forethought or too much planning or too much of anything else so I'm going to start my own company whatever which was either really brave or really dumb the cool thing about doing it at that time is that the internet was a, was like the wild west okay so not only did I and the and the three employees that I started with not only did we have no idea what we were doing no one else knew what the hell they were doing either so it was pretty great okay because you could walk into a client meeting and and they would be like you know do you know how to do this 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 oh yeah absolutely yes 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 the answer to everything was yes (laughs) unequivocally and if we didn't know how to do it we literally figured out how to do it now right about the same time is when you started hearing um you know whispers of this thing called well experience design right we went from calling it new media which lasted for a while and then it was interaction design and then you know everybody got wind of, of don norman's take on UX, And for me, Jesse James Garrett's book, The Elements of User Experience, really hammered it home for me. So I kind of, to this day, I sort of identify UX more with Jesse than I do um, with Don. And they're both wonderful human beings, right? And we all owe a great deal um, to both of them. But for whatever reason, Jesse's book cemented that for me. So we changed the way we described ourselves. We said, okay, Natalia Design Group is an experienced design firm. Now, I had no idea how people were going to take that, but I loved the idea of it because it rang true to everything I learned about graphic design, which was it has to be appropriate and relevant and useful to the people who are on the receiving end of this, right? What's it going to do for them? What's it going to say to them? What are they going to do with that information, right? What do we want them to do with that information? Um, What's useful to them? What's valuable to them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, when I heard Garrett and Norman talking about user experience, to me, this was like... Yeah, it's always been that, <laughs> except now it's that for software. Now it's that for websites. So that was kind of a wild ride. I We did that for 10 years. We survived the dot-com bust, which was massive, right? And we lost a lot of business. You know, contracts died sort of on the table because at that time, companies were spending ridiculous amounts of money on anything that was internet related. And um, we survived that. 9-11 happened soon after that which was a big hit personally as well as professionally, um, managed to to sort of keep going. So I ran that firm for about 10 years. I sold it to an IT firm in 2004, I want to say. Ostensibly, they wanted me to stick around and help them develop a UX practice. Oh. Turns out they had no real interest in doing that. <laughs> so that was an exercise in frustration um, and command and control bullshit. So I moved back to, I said, all right, I, now, remember why I work for myself, so uh, I went back to independent consulting with clients, and I've been doing that ever since. so the majority of my time is is uh split between clients between online courses, which I'm running at about two hundred thousand students at this point, which is an Dang. amazing amazing number um that blows my mind every time I say it out loud uh, It really is alien to me to hear that come out of my mouth <laughs> um, uh. I, I told, I, I'm teaching part-time at, at the Maryland Institute College of Art, right? I told my students last night, I said, you have to understand that I am the most fortunate human being on the face of the earth, okay, that I get to do all these things. Speaking at conferences all across the world, being invited to do podcasts, you know, being invited to come and moderate discussion panels, <laughs> like yes, yours.
0: like at the UX Hustle Summit.
1: <laughs> like at the UX Hustle Summit in Atlanta. Um <laughs> I mean, seriously, I I am uh, I'm really grateful for all that, and and what matters most to me at this point, as I think anyone who follows me on social media probably knows, what motivates me most at this point is helping other human beings. Right, and that's that's students, that's people that are new to this profession, is people who are experienced in this profession. Um, even when I do client work, when I'm asked to, to come in and do consulting, for me. The ask is always about a product, right? I mean, that's why they bring you in. But for me, it's also almost more about the people in the room, right? That team and the way that they're working with each other or against each other, um, the way they're working with or against their bosses, their managers, their stakeholders, their product owners, their clients, whatever it is. There's a lot of dysfunctional friction that happens in organizations simply because it's an organization, right? It's part and parcel of, of growth and size and all sorts of things. And a, what I found is that a big part of my job, if we're going to solve UX problems in a product, we kind of also have to tackle those issues, right? So it's it's kind of like therapy and counseling sometimes too, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I sort of, yeah. I jokingly occasionally refer to myself as the Tony Robbins of UX because it c- kind of feels like that a lot of times, <laughs> right? Like that's Cause, where cause we're it's going. people-based. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you can't take that out of the equation. You can't take emotion out of the equation. You can't take people's feelings uh, out of the equation. It's just not possible.
0: And especially it from hearing your story of like, from frustration came so much of the direction for your career, for your companies, for your courses. Yeah. And so to remove emotion out of that would remove, you know, the actual action that you took out of that emotion.
1: Yeah. And people say all the time, right? Well, oh, it's not business. It's not personal. It's business. I, I think that's bullshit. Okay. I, I think it's an abdication of, of reality. It's, it's a denial. If you care about something, that's kind of what makes you good at it. You know what I mean? And it's so conversely, it's impossible to be good at something if if you don't care about it on some personal level, right? You're not going to do the same job. There's no way. So yeah, to me, that that all matters. I mean, the other great stroke of luck in my life is I was introduced to um, to punk rock at an early age, like when I was in early in high school through my cousins. And the whole DIY spirit of that spoke volumes to me, right? Like, we're not going to wait around for someone else to do this. If, if it's important to us and it matters, we have to find a way to make it happen, right? Forget the fancy, forget getting a record deal, forget the studios, forget the screw it. We're going to record this in our basement and we're going to put it out there for our friends and and whatever. I love that. I have always been that person my entire life and it continues to inform everything I do. If I get a bug, you know, about something, <laughs> it's like let's let's find a way to do this or let's let's at least explore it and see what comes of it. Everything is worth trying. I really firmly believe that. And it's um I feel like it's my duty at this point to try and impart that to other people. A lot of the limitations we impose on ourselves in any number of ways are false. They just are.
0: And, so, and how do you work that muscle of feeling, getting that bug and taking action, of shortening the gap between that feeling and doing something about it?
1: Well, it's, it's investigation, right? You, you investigate first. Like for instance, for some reason, the, the whole George Floyd thing, when it happened, hit me right between the eyes and it hit me in my heart. And I I had this immense, there've been other incidences, right? That are that equally as horrible throughout God only knows how long, for whatever reason, that one got me here in my heart. And I, I was like, this is someone's father. This is someone's brother. This like could be, you know, someone's, someone's child, like, and it really bothered me. And that's, that led to not only just you know social issues where, where black designers are really, truly marginalized in this industry and UXers as well. It led me to sort of those conversations with a lot of people. And some of those conversations were uncomfortable. That led me to a conversation with a lot of folks who were saying, you have to understand that there's no path for a lot of people, even if they show interest, even if they, they are in a position where they're like, okay, this person has a lot of visual talent, right? To be a UI designer or something. There's no path. If you're in high school and you exhibit these tendencies, you experience a series of dead ends, right? If you're, if you're black. So that led me to, I want to start talking to school districts about maybe trying to institute a a program, okay? Where we'll provide educational materials. All you got to do is give us time, right? For instance, we find out that there's a gap for a lot of school kids where three o'clock or 3.30 when school ends until like 6.30 in some cases, those kids are hanging out at school because their parents are working. There's all sorts of situations, but there's a large number in multiple school districts across this country who are in that position. So this is all learning. To answer your question, this is just all, I'm asking questions. I'm like, well, why, 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 why? And I'm getting answers. The answers all suck, but, <laughs> but I'm getting answers. So the the thing now, and it's going ridiculously slowly is to try and make that happen. And, and what I'm experiencing and what a uh, few folks who are helping me are experiencing is that there's a tremendous amount of red tape when it comes to education. And as much as what you're doing is kind of just like a gift, right? You're trying to hand something to somebody and say, please take this gift. It's not gonna cost you anything. <laughs> all you gotta do is accept it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there are all these rules that say, well, we can't do that. So anyway, to answer your question, that's kind of how it starts. Something bothers me on some level, and I investigate, okay, what can I do about that? Design challenges are another thing that have been on my list for the last 10 months where I'm trying to have conversations with HR organizations because I believe this practice is abusive. Okay, It really is. In a lot of situations, even in some of the best situations people have told me about, it's abusive. Now, do I have any clout or power or even knowledge (laughs) of how these policies get made or what it's going to take? to say guess what folks you're not allowed to do this anymore I don't know I have no clue but I'm going to have enough conversations to try and find out what's possible just because it's something that really bothers me so that's that to me is working the muscle you ask a lot of questions you have a lot of conversations and sometimes you stretch yourself a little thinner than you should
0: right right
1: but but I don't know how to be any other way
0: yeah I mean you have you have so many things going on and
1: too many <laughs> but that's okay. It's, I shouldn't say that. It's not too many. I mean, it's, it's what I want to do. You know, it's what I want to do. I, I'm writing three books right now. It's what I want to do. Is it too much? I, I don't know. I mean, I space my time out. It's not like I'm working full time on all three things, you know, at the same time or pumping out courses, you know, every month at the same time or going to events or, or anything else. I'm trying my best to balance it all. Um, but hey, man, I mean, life is finite. (laughs) Yeah. So I kind of, um, I don't know. I want to, I want to put as much good out there as I possibly can in the time that I'm here. I know that sounds cheesy, but that's kind of how I feel about it.
0: (laughs) Right. And, and I think I'm curious what you would say to somebody that feels like they need to have one thing. Or like they need to concentrate and focus their efforts on one thing.
1: I think that it depends on where that comes from.
0: Hmm.
1: Right. It, it depends on where that, that thing you're saying to yourself comes from. If it comes from a place of, I am burning myself out and my health is suffering. and My mental health is suffering, you know, and people around me, <laughs> right. My, my significant other, my family, my kids, my whatever is suffering. That's a good reason to have that conversation with yourself. Okay, you have to be really realistic about what the cost is of all this and whether or not you are managing it. I learned that the hard way years ago. (laughs) All right, you you take a trip to the hospital basically because you're pushing way too hard. I think if it comes from that place, that's good. If it comes from a place of feeling like you're the only person that's doing that or I must be crazy or people are like, oh, how can you... How can you do all that stuff? You can't possibly do all that well. Or or if it comes from a place of of guilt or feeling like you're alien in some way, you're not like everybody else, like, you know, well, nobody else does this or nobody else is doing this or, those are all bad things, right? The judgment, the the comparing, the the saying, well, or or saying, you know, who am I to do all this? You know, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not whatever, I hate that stuff, okay? Those are bad reasons to have that conversation with yourself, if you wanna do something, you should do it. You should explore it, okay, and find out what's involved. And it doesn't mean you have to commit to it either. You may get halfway down the road and decide this isn't possible. Right. That's okay. <laughs> Which is another thing, right? People see that as as quitting. Not necessarily true. I think quitting kind of gets a bad rap. Right. There are some things you should quit if they're hurting you or they're hurting other people. <laughs> you know, so I think it's Okay. And I also think it's perfectly okay. Some people feel like they have to be doing multiple things. You know, in order to to get uh, ahead in their jobs or get prestige or get whatever. And internally, they're they're having a conversation with themselves, which is, honestly, I'm really happy with where I'm at right now, but I feel pressured to do all this other stuff. That's a bad reason too, okay? There's nothing wrong with enjoying one thing that you do and and it gives you satisfaction or, or cutting... You know, that line between your personal and professional life, whatever it is, there's no one single right way, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You
0: mean there's no like one right answer? No. Shoot.
1: No, Amanda, there's not. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to rain on your parade. Man. That was, that was mean.
0: You mean there's no rules <laughs> and it's all made up. <laughs> That's right.
1: <laughs> right. First rule. There are no rules.
0: There are no rules. And, and so what do you say to somebody that's, that's just afraid?
1: You have to. I, I, I give them the same advice that Henry Rollins gave me many years ago. This was 92, I want to say, where I just had different conversations with him via, via letters and then via email. And then um, I actually wound up interviewing him for a, a magazine I co-founded, And we're having this conversation and I asked him the same question. I said, what would you say to somebody who wants to do all this stuff? Because he's doing books, he's doing music, he's doing voiceover work, he's starting to act, all this kind of stuff. This is a guy who lived in a tool shed at one point in his life, right? So I said, you know, what would you say to somebody who's, who really wants to do all this stuff, wants to explore it, wants to get into it and, and is afraid. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, go out and get your nose broken, (laughs) Okay, because it's it's really the only way forward. You have to take the step, right? You have to do it. You can think about it all you want, but eventually you're going to have to do it. Okay, there's a quote by E.E. E. Cummings uh, where it's, maybe not, I think it may be somebody else. But anyway, the quote goes, look if you like, but you will have to leap. Mm. So what Rollins said to me after that was, he said, you know, here's the thing. Even if you go out and, and you take the shot in the nose, right? The first thing you learn is that, okay, that didn't kill me. I'm still standing, right? I can still do this thing, right? My, my life didn't end. My world didn't end. And I'm still here. Okay, that teaches you something about yourself. It teaches you how resilient you actually are, right? It teaches you that these kinds of events don't have to stop you. And I think that if you're going to do anything, I'm a big believer, and I say this all the time, you have to make peace with that. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. You are going to get knocked down. Life is that way. Work is that way. Everything is that way. Okay? It's going to happen. What you will learn if you make yourself just get back up and breathe in and breathe out, put one foot in front of the other, (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't have to stop you. Okay? It, It doesn't. And Anyone who's ever done anything worthwhile has tried and failed a hundred times. I'm no exception. Okay, I've done all sorts of things that have failed spectacularly. <laughs> and some of them were, were ventures. I mean, I, I ran i have um, I've co-founded two magazines. I worked uh, as a partner on another. Um, I started a book publishing company at one point. I ran a, an independent record label for two years. None of these things really worked out, okay, or else I'd still be doing them but they were worth doing and they were worth trying because all the things that I learned in in, in that struggle were infinitely valuable. When I started my own company, I made every mistake you can possibly make <sighs> because I was young enough, you know, again, and, and like, I'm going to go do this. I didn't know anything about running a company, nothing. I didn't take the time to read and learn. I just like, screw it. We're doing this. And I paid for that <laughs> in any number of ways in the first two years. But, um, I'm okay with all that, especially at this point, I'm okay with Mm -hmm. all that. So I think the first part of doing anything, right, when you're afraid, is you have to realize that it's okay if it doesn't work. It's totally okay, nothing happens, okay? You don't die. (laughs) You know, the the first time I screwed up with a client, okay, and they fired me, huge, huge hit, right? You know, in the middle of your chest. You feel worthless. I am dumb, I shouldn't be doing this, I don't know what I was thinking, I had no business working with these clients who are way beyond what I'm capable of, this was really stupid, blah, 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 right? After you get past all the self-pity, you realize that again, okay, didn't kill me, I'm still here, I'm still gonna try again, and then you get another client, right? And you get more work, Yep. and things work out, And and so that cements something in you, like okay, I can still do this, but you, you, the idea that you're going to take the hit without pain, though, is, is a complete falsehood. Okay? It's just false.
0: Oh. Those
1: those instances are going to hurt. They are going to, in some cases, sink your ship. That's okay. But you have to get back up. Right. <laughs> it's the most cliched thing in the book, but I don't know anything that's more true. Okay?
0: I mean, do you feel like it's the fear of the pain? Yes. More so than the failure, in a way?
1: Personally, Yes. I think so. I think so. And I think you're afraid that your your fears are going to be confirmed. Right? I'm not good enough for this. I'm not experienced enough. I'm not ready. I'm not. Whatever deficiencies you think you have, I think we're all subconsciously afraid that those things are going to be confirmed if we try something and we screw up. So that's why you sit there and you fold your hands, you know, in meetings all the time. Like I tell people to ask questions all the time, ask questions. If you've got something on your mind or something's being talked about that you don't agree with, you need to raise your hand and say, look, <laughs> you know, I don't get this. Can you explain it, you know, in, in a different way? Or, or I think doing this is going to hurt us in some way because A, B, and C. I may not be right, but I feel like I need to voice that. A lot of people don't do that. The reason I know that is because for as long as I've been consulting with clients, there's always a point if I'm spending you know, a couple weeks with the team where we come out of the room, especially if there are product owners or executives or whoever, right? Bosses in the room. We come out and 15 people make a beeline for me to go. I, I'm so glad you said that because we've, we've been talking about this for months and, and, and we've been, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. This is happening. Ah, we're so glad you said that. They all are thinking it, but until one person finds the courage to raise their hand and say, I don't agree with this, and here's why. Nothing good happens. Okay, so what I tell people all the time is if you have that feeling, if you're having that question, if you're agitated and moving around in your seat, going, oh, this is bad, I promise you there are at least two other people in the room who feel the exact same way. And just like you, they're afraid to say anything about it. But nothing changes until you open your mouth. That's not easy, okay? I'm not suggesting that it's somehow simple (laughs) to find that courage it isn't but it still has to be done if you want things to change you have to have a hand in changing them which means you have to take the risk you have to put yourself out on a limb and say uh not for nothing i don't get it
0: (laughs) right And, and that's so true that speaking up is part of that action
1: yes yeah it is and it's hard and i think that there's lots of reinforcement it's a funny thing for as, as much as we champion individuality, right, as people, as a society in the U.S. in particular, right? Everything is about rugged individualism. <laughs> At the same time, we do all sorts of things from childhood on that sort of discourage <laughs> ideas that are outside the norm. You know, I mean, this extreme polarization we have right now politically it is to me, it's just an extension of that. It's why well, I'm on this side. You're on this side. And therefore, we can't possibly have a conversation about anything. Right. (laughs) It's not necessarily true. There's a difference between differences of opinion and extremism. When you have extremism, you won't listen to anybody else. There are people inside organizations who are the same way. And their extremism is born out of fear. When a product owner won't listen to you, right? When a boss or a manager won't listen to you, that's usually because they're afraid of something. (laughs) Right. (laughs) They're afraid of that question you're going to ask. Because they're afraid how it's going to reflect on them. Just like you, they're going, well, shit, what if we can't solve that? That's why companies are opposed to research. They're afraid of what they're going to find out. <laughs> wow. It's going to confirm the stuff they already know is happening. Right. That they, They're trying hard to ignore. Seriously. It's what this is about. I. What blew my mind, and part of the reason I think I jumped ship from companies, is it's... <sighs> I really didn't understand this. And I kind of still don't as a, you know, soon to be 54 year old adult. People sit across from each other in meetings and they don't talk. They don't talk to each other. There's no simple, ordinary conversation. Everything is a grandstand of some sort. It's a performance, (laughs) right? Even just casual conversation. It's a performance. And I never got that. It made me nuts. So when I did my thing, and I was the guy, um, for anyone who has seen the movie Big with Tom Hanks, um, there's a scene where he's a kid, and he raises his hand, he's in this board meeting. And he's like, I don't get it. That, I've always done that. And I've always had, you know, when I was working for agencies, you have eight people turn around and stare at you like, what the hell is wrong with you? Right, or they're thinking you don't get it or, or whatever the case may be. Because hey, you know, nobody does that. And um I, I think you have to. I've been when I've worked with teams, right? I've witnessed their stand up meetings. And it's the same kind of thing. There's a lot of performance, there's a lot of theater.
0: <laughs> yep.
1: There's a lot of I don't really tell you want to tell you what's really happening because it's upsetting me and I don't want to talk about it. And I'm hoping to hell that I can just fix it myself and it'll go away.
0: Or I can ignore it and it'll just Go right,
1: which is it's just bad. It's bad for that person to be carrying that around. Mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's it's harmful. and it's it's harmful for everyone else as well.
0: harmful to the company and the product that you're yeah, designing yeah, and developing. Yeah.
1: everybody pays
0: mm-hmm.
1: All right. So, you know, I don't know that I have any any great answers other than the ones that we've talked about, but at some point, you have to find. And maybe it's not so much courage, okay? Maybe it's maybe it's you have to believe in yourself enough or believe that you're worth more than this. If something is going on around you that is hurting you, you absolutely do not have to sit there and take it. You don't on any number of levels, you know, from, from harmless to harmful. You don't. And I think a lot of people have been conditioned to think, well, I got to keep this job, you know? Some things aren't worth it.
0: Oh, and that's fear in itself, right?
1: Of course. Of course.
0: I mean, the way you've you been talking about fear, it sounds, it's so internal of like the way you think about yourself yeah. and the things that hold you back from, I don't want to look dumb. I don't want, that's right. I don't want my, I don't want to take action because I don't want to confirm the thought that I have about myself—that I'm not good enough to be in this room—that's
1: right. That I mean, that's what I think. Okay, that—that's that's really what I think happens. It's a—it's a loop. It's a little loop that we play uh, in our heads. I talk about imposter syndrome a lot,
0: mm-hmm.
1: for example, and I'm actually trying to do more of that. One of the three books I'm writing right now is on emotional resilience as it relates to this work that we all do because I think it's tremendously important. And it all starts with that, okay? With this idea that, it's that voice that pops up in your head that says, you know, you, it, you don't know what you're doing. Everyone, Everyone's eventually gonna find out that you don't know what the hell you're doing. You don't belong in this company with these other people. You know? And that's there all the time. I mean, I've, I've experienced that my entire life. I still experience it. The mistake is believing that you're gonna make it go away somehow. You're not. Right. You have to learn to, to deal with it and put it in its place, because <laughs> it doesn't go away. You know, when when I'm included in a tweet, with, you know, these lists that go around Twitter every once in a while, right? And I'm included with people who, to me, are so far beyond what I'm, what I know and what I'm capable of. Um, they're heroes. Some of these people are heroes to me. Um, that voice screams <laughs> in my ear. There's no way you deserve to be mentioned. With these people. Seriously. Okay? And you have to combat it, right? You just say, I right, shut up. Okay. I'm not listening to you right now. I know this is your deal. Like fine. Just sit down and leave me alone. And that's kind of of what I do, but it doesn't go away. It doesn't stop. When you put it every right.
0: it's putting that fear in the passenger seat instead of the driver's seat.
1: Yeah. Every time I release a course or, you know, publish a book, there is always at the, like for books like when you hit submit right and you're ready to because i self-publish there's the, the voice is screaming in your ear not one single person is going to buy this <laughs> same thing with a course you release it and you're watching and you're like, oh, what if nobody enrolls
0: same with publishing a podcast <laughs>
1: right same thing right yep. exact same thing there's a quote and i can't remember I don't know if it was Hemingway or or somebody said that writers deal with, I can't remember, I'm going to screw this up, deal with uh, eternity or a lack of it every day.
0: <laughs> that sounds very Hemingway.
1: <laughs> right. It's something like that where it's basically, you're always on that ledge. Like, what if nobody cares? Screaming out into the void, you know? Mm. And And the answer to that is, it doesn't matter. You have to do it anyway. If you want to do it, you have to do it want to do a podcast? Do it. People ask me that all the time. Should I start a podcast? Yes. There's only one answer to that question and it's yes.
0: Right. <laughs> Should I, had that I publish a book? with someone yes. yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah? Yeah.
1: Under what, what, uh, what kind of thing? Podcast or uh, something? A one?
0: podcast. Yeah. They were like, I don't know. I'm so worried about the time commitment and all this stuff. And I was like, recording podcasts is my favorite thing. It <laughs> is the brightest point in my week. It's fun. And if you feel like, you could have that or that that might be the right, that it could bring you that you right. should do it. Why
1: not? Why not? Why not? What do you have to lose? Okay. You know, I mean mine, I've, I've had to put mine on hiatus a couple times just because my schedule gets crazy. And like, so what? Right. <laughs> I'm going to do more episodes when I have the time. Um, I don't care like you, I, I love doing it. I love these conversations. I think there's a lot that gets revealed. Um, there there's a lot of helpful stuff that comes out in conversation so yeah why the hell not you know write that article do the blog post share your your stuff with the world absolutely why not who cares
0: do it and then tag us so that we can go see it yeah
1: exactly <laughs> exactly right tell people about it mm-hmm. you know now I'm, I'm all in with all that stuff all the time for better or worse <laughs>
0: Well, and I'm curious with even in organizations and the companies that you've seen, what would you tell a manager who's trying to help their team, help their designers speak up and overcome that fear and foster that kind of environment?
1: I think there's two parts to that because I've had these conversations many times. And for me, there's always two parts. Number one in in many organizations. It's your job to run interference for them. Okay. From from people shortcutting you, working around you, going directly to them, can, can you just do this thing for five minutes? You know, all the stuff that happens with higher-up executives sort of not understanding what these people do and thinking they're their personal order takers and all sorts of stuff. Okay. Or insisting that something has to be a certain way. It is your job as a manager to run interference. Okay. You need to you need to block and get in front of that. So if someone wants to dictate terms, they can do it to you. That's fine. It's your job to take that. That's the first part. The second, so that they can do what they do best without any outside interference or dictation, right? Instead of instead of saying, here's what our problem is we're trying to solve, you know, lots of folks in organizations want to give people solutions. Do this, do it this way. Like, I know what we need. Go do it. Yep. <laughs> All right. As a manager, it's your job to take the brunt of that and not pass it on. That's my belief. The second part is you need to, there's sort of this this, um, deft balancing act of giving people a lot of rope, right? to, To explore and try and fail and guiding them along the way. So on one hand, you have to stop doing certain amount of work for them literally, because a lot of managers, even if they're well-intentioned, it's kind of like when you have kids. If you do everything for them, you're removing the learning experience, right? They never learn to get there for themselves because you're always stepping in to say, well, okay, well, I'll do this part and then I'll give you this. They have to experience it, especially if it's a fall-on-your-face moment where something's not going to work out. They have to learn how to dig through that difficulty it's really really important and it's understandable to want to shield them from it right i totally get it um so it's a tough balancing act because you want to be there to guide but you can't you know be doing it for them and which means you have to suppress your own urge when you know things are going sideways <laughs> to take it away from them
0: right right
1: again you you guide and you say okay here's what i see here's where i think we're headed doesn't mean I want you to stop doing what you're doing, but be aware of these things that may likely happen as a result, okay, I just want you to be prepared. And that's it, that's the extent of it. You have to let them do the thing, however it turns out. And that's uncomfortable for a lot of people, it's uncomfortable for organizations. I've been inside some some big name companies, everybody knows, where a culture of failure is celebrated, right? The lip service is everybody is free to fail early and often. The reality is the exact opposite of that. Intentional or otherwise. Okay. it's just, In a lot of cases, it's this unintentional cultural pressure of, yeah, 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 on paper, you're free to screw up. But if you do, there's going to be a penalty.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know?
1: <laughs> so, so yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's those two things. And I think middle managers of any kind are are most well-positioned to shortcut that. You have to protect your people so that they can do the thing. And if someone's going to get mad at someone, let them get mad at you.
0: Right. Well, and how how do you protect in that sense of like, if you fail, how do you provide that safety net to people to where it's without shielding them? Yeah. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. That's why any conversations that happen, for example, because the most hurt comes from words, quite honestly, Mm -hmm. right? Or or public missives or all sorts of things. So if you're the manager, it is your job to have those one-on-one conversations with the brass or the higher-ups or anyone who is going to direct ire (laughs) at the work that was done, you know, or unfair criticism or unkind words or whatever the case may be. You need to insist that it come directly to you. And the first time it doesn't, you need to take sort of a combative stance and go to that person and say, do not ever do this again, okay? That has to happen in some cases. Those are uncomfortable conversations, but nine times out of 10, the bully on the other end will stop doing what they're doing because no one has ever called them on their bullshit before, all right? That's that's what I've seen most. And you also throw yourself on the sword when necessary and say, well, that was my call. If you're gonna yell at anybody, you're gonna yell at me. I made that call. Right. I told them to go ahead and do this. So I think that's the other part. And I think that comes with the territory.
0: Mm, that's really good.
1: Not everybody agrees with that, by the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sure not.
1: <laughs> Which is okay, but, uh, you know, organizations, people in organizations ask me that question all the time. Well, how do I help them? I hate to tell you this, but you're gonna have to take the arrows.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: <laughs> okay really, I mean, you're going to have to sign up for all that stuff that you're telling me is happening to them
0: (laughs) and get in front of it.
1: You have to, you have to, and you have to find a way to fight it and short circuit it and say, look, there's a different way to do this. I'm not doing this dance with you anymore. Mm. Okay. It can be done. I've seen it. I've seen it done. There are a lot of really good people protecting their teams, you know, um, but one organization I worked with very recently, who's a name absolutely everybody knows, that was part of the issue that that they came to me with. And this is a group of people who cares really, really deeply about their team. And they are absolutely in front of it. And they are absolutely saying the buck stops right here. Okay? What we believe is this, we're a unified front across six different departments, and that's not changing. Right, The line is right here. Anyone has a problem with that, you need to come to us. And they're doing an amazing job.
0: That's powerful.
1: Amazing, amazing job. And it's simply, it's nothing more than six people who are very committed to that idea, okay? That believe in it, that are good human beings, and you know that that feel like this just shouldn't be this way. So they've taken it upon themselves to change it.
0: So if I'm someone listening and I'm looking to get hired and I'm trying to find some place like that that'll help me grow my career, help me, Mm -hmm. position me, in that way? What are some things that I can Mm -hmm. look for?
1: It's it's conversation. You have to, you have to take the approach in an interview. Number one, where, and I say this all the time too, you're interviewing them. Okay. This is always seen as a one-sided deal. Like I have to prove my worth to these people. Guess what? They have to prove their worth to you as well. They need you. If they didn't need you, they wouldn't be interviewing you. They understand So that, that, there's power that we unintentionally give up automatically in those situations. So number one, you have to reframe the experience and say, I'm interviewing them as well, which means you have to ask a lot of questions. You ask questions about how work moves through the organization, who usually starts a request, who does it go to after that, who has approval, um, how do people work together, and you, you sort of make them walk it forward for you. And then you say, okay, well, what happens when? Any number of bad situations, right? What happens when something goes wrong? What happens when there's a, a bug at, at launch? What happens when the reaction to users if, if if there's if they tell you there's no testing, for example, right? Okay, so if we're just iterating and releasing, what happens when something backfires spectacularly and users hate it? And that profit or cost savings that we thought we were gonna get doesn't materialize. What's the result of that? How do how to How does management react in that case? You're allowed to ask that question. You should ask that question, okay? Because you want to know. If they dance around the answer, if they don't want to answer it, if you get a a, sort of a half-assed non-answer, that's a red flag. (laughs) That's a place where people are afraid, okay? So those kinds of things, you have to ask a lot of questions about what you'll be responsible for. You need to say, I know the job description says this, What will I actually be doing from the time I walk in here to the time I leave? Literally, what work will I be doing? They should have a very clear, distinct, specific answer to that question. If they don't, they're looking for somebody to fill any number of gaps in any number of areas, and you're going to be an order taker. (laughs) Okay, again, red flag. When you get specific, mature answers... That's evidence of a specific, mature human culture. When you get bullshit answers, not so much.
0: <laughs> right. And just like... That's
1: right. That's right. Both eyes open.
0: And just like in a relationship, when you see red flags and you decide to take those on, you're going in, at least you know, and you're asking those questions and you're choosing choosing to say yes to those red flags for any number of situational reasons, potentially. Right. But you should be aware of those things right. so that you can ta- tackle them.
1: Right. Let's say you're in an interview, okay, and you're you're getting not so good answers. <laughs> Vague answers, nonspecific answers. But there's a lot about the job that appeals to you. You think to yourself, well, this this project work would be huge for me to have on a resume for later on in my career. This company would be huge for me to have later on in my career. To your point, you do go in with both eyes open. But what you do when you get there, when you start, is you hold them to what they said you were going to do. So if they told you you were going to be doing, you know, spearheading UX strategy, for example, and you're going to do strategy work and set up user research uh, sessions and do that all that strategic stuff, and you get in there and you're suddenly relegated to creating icons, you need to stand up Go to that person's office and say, look, we had a conversation. You told me I was going to be doing this work. So I need you to tell me, am I going to be doing that work? Or am I going to be creating icons all day? Because if that's the case, I don't think this is a good fit. But I personally believe you have to do it that way. Because what they'll say is, oh, no, 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 it's just, you know, it's temporary. And you'll, you'll be doing that stuff later. That is bullshit all day long. It's never true. Never. Not ever. When you hear that kind of stuff, it is not ever true. I promise you. <laughs> okay. So you have every right to sort of call them on it and say, this is not what you told me I would be doing. And I think if that's not the case, I'm probably going to have to, we're going to have to part ways here. You can also, I think you can say that in an interview as well. Say, you know, I just want to be sure that Mm -hmm. the job description and what you're telling me I'll be doing is actually what I'll be doing. Because if it isn't, I don't want to waste either of our time here.
0: Because that's what you're signing up for. That's right. And that's kind of the agreement that's of right. what am I going to be doing every day? Because that's the part that I'm going to be talking about later on. Yeah. Of like, if I move on and and part of the reason for me taking this job is to build my resume and have this experience and I want to make sure that's right. my experience that I'm actually having aligns with my intention and with my goals. That's right. That's a good line. Yes. That's a good line to Yeah.
1: Have. You have to be an advocate. You have to be an advocate for yourself. You have to be and you can't let that go once you get hired. Okay? They don't get to renege on what they promised? In what world is that okay? It's not. It's not okay in any other part of life. If you if your significant other, you know, reneged on on some really important promise, you would call them on it.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Right? That's a that's a deal breaker. We're not doing this. This is no different. You have every right to say, look, you're not holding up your end. I'm here. I took a leap of faith based on what you told me. I trusted you. You've broken that trust. You have every right to do that. You do it politely. You don't yell at anybody. You don't call anybody names, right? There's one thing that I think I need to say in all this stuff that we're talking about. When you have these conversations, difficult conversations of any kind, which, by the way, is one of the other books that I'm writing with Vincent Braithwaite. It's called "Designing Difficult Conversations." Nice segue. Uh-huh. That's awesome. The thing that you have to the thing that you have to do is you have to remove emotion from your voice and your face when you have these conversations. I call it, like, you have to be calm in the face of all storms. You keep your voice even, just like mine is right now. You state the facts very cleanly. You don't beg. You don't um, explain your situation. You don't, you know, list 10,000 reasons why this is wrong or unfair or whatever. You don't do any of that. You state the facts. You say, this is not what you promised me I would be doing. um, It's not the work I wanna do, it's not the work I am best at, and I don't feel like it's the right step for my career. So I think if, if that's not gonna happen, unfortunately, we're gonna have to part ways, okay? Matter of fact, I learned that from my longtime friend and lawyer, Elliot Wagenheim, where he told me when you're negotiating a contract, especially if the other side is proposing something that is absolutely predatory, you keep your emotion out of the conversation. You don't explain why you want the change. You don't explain the nine, ten ways why it's unfair. You just say this is. I can't accept these terms. Said, calmly, matter of factly, this mm-hmm. is the way it is.
0: Right. Hmm. And and Vincent's speaking at UX Hustle Summit too. I know. <laughs>
1: I know. He, he and I, I think, are talking tonight. As a matter of fact. Um, oh yay! About the book. So we've been we've been sort of hacking at it, here and there. Um, but it's a great topic. And it's something that I think, again, it's 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 the soft stuff um, that nobody talks about. And the, the longer I do this, the more I feel like this is what's necessary. And I know that it, he does as well. Absolutely. So, and he's, this is one of my favorite people. <laughs> so it's it's an honor to be able to do this with him as well.
0: That's awesome. I heard someone say that you're always one uncomfortable conversation away from whatever you want and whatever goal you're trying to achieve. True.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. I've never heard that before. Yeah. So hey. true. Unbelievably true. Totally true. Oh. Yeah, there's no question in my mind.
0: So I have one more question.
1: None of this is easy.
0: Sure. So you're in an elevator with another UX designer gets on. And they turn and yeah. ask you, how can I be happy in my career? What do you tell them?
1: Be honest with yourself. Okay. Be honest with yourself about what's working. Be honest with yourself about what's not. Be honest with yourself about what you want. Be honest with yourself about what you deserve. Okay? I think a lot of the pain that comes in any career, this profession or any other, comes from not being straight with yourself. Okay? From accepting things that you really don't agree with. You know? From just going along with things that you really don't agree with from silencing yourself, from tamping down the part of you that says, well, I want to say this, I want to do this, I want to act differently. Be honest with yourself. When you learn to do that, a lot of things change. Okay, It is not anybody's right, (laughs) nor do they really have the power to make you do otherwise you got to you got to claim that for yourself because you deserve it you're worth it so that would be my answer
0: it's an excellent answer <laughs> i'm going to be like replaying Thank that you. and just set that as my morning wake up like you're worth it <laughs> and be honest with yourself today that's and, right and and take action around that mm.
1: absolutely it's one, of, it's one of the most important lessons I learned, and it took me way too long to learn it.
0: Mm. So, where can everybody follow you and find you and all that stuff?
1: Okay, well, I'm, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, but Twitter is where I am most often. Okay, at Jonas Holy um, is where you'll find me almost always, even when I shouldn't be there <laughs> <laughs> doing Twitter's something like else, <laughs> you know avoiding work like I really should be writing this book right now, but
0: (laughs) tweets are like little books. Um,
1: So yeah, (laughs) right. They're fun. (laughs) That's what it is. They're fun. Um, You'll find me at givegoodux.com is my website. Um, You'll find, if you go to the media page, you'll find all sorts of podcasts and interviews and things that I've done. I'm sure this one will join the ranks uh, shortly. Videos from conferences, that I've spoken at, um, everything I could think of to put up there <laughs> that may be useful to people, um, I've tried to do that. My UX 365 Academy, which is um, online courses, can be found at learn.givegoodux.com. That is another thing, like all the soft skill stuff that we're talking about, okay, I'm, I'm trying to create coursework around all that stuff. Everybody's got the tactical stuff, right? Step one, step two, step three, like nobody needs another course on UX process it's all there. It's out there. Other people have done it. I'm not going to retread that ground. What I think people need are mechanisms for surviving and thriving inside the daily reality of this work that we do. Okay. So everything I put out at UX 365 is geared to that. Now all my other courses are there too, all my books, and we put out new stuff every month. So the deal there, if I can say this is right now, and the prices are going to go up in 2022 because I won't have any choice, but. We started out as a beta and I kept the beta pricing because of the pandemic, right? Because a lot of people are, are still out of work. A lot of people's incomes have been slashed and I think that sucks. So we've tried to keep it reasonable. Um, basic membership is 14 bucks a month. And again, you get access to everything. And uh, a VIP subscription is 19 and you get, with that you get a monthly group, one-on-one VIP mastermind session with me where you get advice from me, you get advice from other people, and it's a pretty cool thing. So that's at learn.givegoodux.com. Strongly suggest everyone check it out. And like I said, um, unfortunately, the prices will go up, not exorbitantly, but they will go up next year because I kind of am at my limit of <laughs> throwing away money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you um, do have a business. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. You know, but, but see, that's the thing, right? I just, I just want to do stuff. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, you know, accountants are like, well, you realize you're kind of going to have to change this eventually. I know. I know. <laughs> I will. I promise.
0: And you have another book coming out, right?
1: Yeah. Okay. So there's three books. <laughs> there's there's three books. The, the one that's going to come out first is we were going to call it The Business of UX, which I co-wrote with my wife, who is uh, a marketing coach and consultant for entrepreneurs. So, it's all about starting your own design business or UX consultancy from the ground up. It's everything from what should the form of the business be to um, how do I find work? How do I deal with contracts? What do I need? What what do I need to think about financially? How do I deal with contract objections? Where do I find clients? Um, To the nuts and bolts day to day of what it takes to get past that first two years and build something that's going to survive. All right. It's everything that we know over the last 20 plus years of doing this. Okay. And, and uh, I'm really proud of it. And I I really think it's going to be helpful to people. So that'll be published hopefully before the end of the year. So it's either going to be called the business of UX or the, like the big book of starting and running your own design UX business or something like that. The second book is the book I'm doing with Vincent, which is designing difficult conversations, which is about everything from having the difficult conversations like you and I've talked about today to issues of, of abuse and race and marginalization and toxic culture and all sorts of things. All right. We're, we're trying to really take a big shot at this and leave no stone unturned because it's something that far too many people in both of our experiences suffer with needlessly. And it's time for that to change. The third book is on the topic of emotional resilience, as we talked about. Okay. So to me, these things all work together. They're all part of the same, um, and like i said i think they're topics that don't get talked about enough when we talk about the work we do
0: absolutely and
1: i thank you for asking me about that
0: of course of course well thank you for being on the podcast this has been such a great conversation and i'm so happy absolutely like everyone go check out all of joe's stuff i mean there's so much a wealth of knowledge and information and experience there i mean sign up for that ux365 that sounds like a great deal
1: i deeply deeply appreciate that and i appreciate you having me on today this was fantastic
0: thank you yay Yay. thank you for listening to the ux hustle podcast if you love this episode please write a review and subscribe to continue these conversations you can follow us on instagram at the ux hustle join our slack community through the link in our show notes or join us at the UX Hustle Summit September 24th through the 25th. It's our annual virtual conference, and it's the only UX Career Conference, so we'd love to see you there.